turn in the scriptures to John chapter 6, or John chapter 17, 17. John chapter 17 records Jesus' high priestly prayer, which concluded his upper room discourse, the prayer Jesus offered for his disciples and for his church, just before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, the night on which he was betrayed. We'll read the entire prayer, all of John 17. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came out from thee, and that, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one, as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. 
And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in, in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Thus far, we read the Holy Scriptures. Drawing on this passage and the entirety of the Bible, consider the instruction of the Catechism in question and answer 2. We finish off Lord's Day 1 this morning, focusing on question and answer 2. The Catechism sets this question before us, how many things are necessary for thee to know that thou enjoying this comfort, comfort of question and answer one, mayest live and die happily. Three, the first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. With Thanksgiving coming this very week, many of us have probably taken out our cookbooks and started looking through them for some of our favorite recipes, perhaps recipes that have been handed down through the generations in our own families. Perhaps you might think it a strange thing to consider the question, what does your cookbook and the Heidelberg Catechism have in common? But one thing they have in common is that they both give us recipes. In fact, question and answer two gives us what we can say is the most important recipe there is. One that God our Father has handed down to us in his word. And one which has been summarized and beautifully expressed in this spiritual family document that has been handed down through the ages, our Heidelberg Catechism. It's the most important recipe. It's a recipe much disputed in the world. All kinds of people have very different ideas about what goes in to this very important thing. Happiness. True happiness. That's something every person craves. It's something every person chases after. True happiness that sticks with you and supports you in the midst of this life. And if you look around in the world, there are countless recipes for happiness. All of which disagree with each other. All of which state Many, many different ingredients that are to go together and be mixed together to produce this thing that people want called happiness. 
Amazingly, our catechism gives us a recipe for happiness that is so very simple that there are only three ingredients. Three. First, that I know how great my sins and miseries are. Second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. Third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. That's it. Those are the ingredients of true happiness. Think about that. How amazing that is. How easy that is to remember. How rich that is and yet so profound. We can all remember those three ingredients. Perhaps you have a recipe at home for some wonderful dish that you love, but the ingredients list is so very long you can't remember it all. That's why you have to have it written down. Three simple ingredients that go into something so wonderful as true happiness. You can all remember that. Think upon that. Children, think about that. Happiness, true happiness. What's the recipe for happiness? Only three things to remember. Knowing your sin and misery, knowing your Savior Jesus Christ, and knowing how to thank your Savior for what He's done for you. This recipe that the Catechism gives us is one that has much application for our lives. We want to be a happy people. Do. We can be. Because happiness is not something that's out there and we have to try to find it and exert ourselves to find it. Happiness is something that God gives us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is through faith in Christ and His gospel that we have and enjoy this good, wonderful gift. The recipe is right here. And our catechism isn't the, one, isn't the thing that made up this recipe. In fact, it's drawn from God's own word. It's drawn from the very words of Jesus Christ. Words near the beginning of his prayer, John 17, verse 3. And this is life eternal. You understand that implied in that, this is true happiness. True happiness is connected and bound up together with life eternal. What is the best life? What is everlasting life? What is the truly fulfilling life? This is it. This is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. And so on this Sabbath day, and every Sabbath day is a spiritual feast day, let's take some time and explore the most important recipe we have. The recipe God gives us for true happiness. Our theme is going to be the ingredients of true happiness. We're first going to look at those ingredients, a threefold knowledge. And then, secondly, we will look at the twofold fruit of holding that threefold knowledge in our hearts. Happiness. Happiness is something all kinds of people define differently. And it's a broad concept. It is somewhat challenging to define, but we can define it this way. Happiness, true happiness, that is, is an inner joy, and a comfortable sense of well-being under the favorable countenance of God. 
Happiness is an inner spiritual joy and a comfortable sense of our eternal well-being. And you see there immediately the connection to the first question and answer. At the heart of happiness is knowing that comfort that I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. That's happiness. One of the Bible's terms for happiness is blessedness. To be happy is to be blessed. To abide under the undeserved favor of God and to feel the light of his face shining upon you. That's happiness. But now we're going to focus on the experience and the living out of that happiness that is ours. And the catechism in question and answer 2 gives us instruction in that regard. How do we live happily? And how do we die happily? How do we experience this happiness? By knowing three things. And as we begin there, let's observe that important point. That happiness, according to the catechism, according to Jesus Christ, is a matter of knowing. A matter of knowing. Our world depicts happiness as a matter of many other things. Happiness, the world says, and our flesh says, is a matter of having a matter of getting, a matter of enjoying the things that are gotten and the things that I have and holding on to those things. Happiness is a matter of feeling, having this certain feeling, and perhaps that feeling is gotten from certain experiences, and so the happy life is doing all that you can in order to maximize the number of experiences you have, whatever those experiences might be. Perhaps those experiences are taking vacations. Perhaps those experiences are playing video games. Perhaps those experiences are interactions with friends, relationships, whatever it may be. The world in our flesh says happiness is a matter of getting and having and feeling good about what you've gotten and what you have. Now, that's not to say that there's no joy in those things. There is God gives us many good things in this life. Family, friends, wonderful experiences on vacation when we behold the beauty of his creation. And those experiences are good. And there's a joyful, happy feeling that comes with those things. And those are God's gifts too. But the point is, are those things ingredients, necessary ingredients that must go together to give us True happiness? The answer is no. These are not the necessary ingredients of happiness. True happiness is not a matter of getting and having and experiencing and feeling, but true happiness according to the Word of God is a matter of knowing. Knowing God. And knowing Jesus Christ, whom he has sent, knowing who God is and who he is to us in Jesus Christ, and therefore our standing with him, our relationship with him, knowing God. Our catechism breaks down the three main ingredients of the recipe of true happiness, but if you want to make it even simpler, you can say there's one ingredient that summarizes it all, the true knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's a matter of knowing God, because God alone is the supreme good 
for whom we were created. We were created to long after the good. To long after the good that is lasting. The good that is stable. The good that's not going to go away. The good that can fill the eternity-sized hole in the human heart. And there's only one that can fill that hole. There's only one that can fully satisfy the soul. And that is the one only true God. And knowing Him, who He is, and knowing Jesus Christ through whom I am His. And stand in a relationship to Him. A relationship that is characterized by the tenderest love, the richest mercy, and the fullest grace. That's happiness. And so an important application just here on the ounce, on, at the outset. Happiness, true happiness, is not the private property of a certain class of people. It's not the private property of the rich and the successful and the famous. But it is something the child of God has regardless of his material condition, regardless of how well known or respected he is, regardless of whether he is successful in this world or has met failure and trouble one after another. Happiness is not rooted in things or possessions, but happiness is the possession of the redeemed. Happiness is a gift of God's grace, which He gives to His children. It's not something that is found at the end of a very hard journey so that only the strongest and only the most gifted and only the smartest ever reach it. But it's a free gift of God in Jesus Christ to all who are his redeemed. It's a matter of knowing, of knowing. To talk a little bit more about that knowing, what sort of knowing? Not dry, bare, intellectual knowing. Of course, we understand all knowing involves the intellect, involves the use of the mind, but that's not all it is. The sort of knowing that the catechism is bringing to our attention, the sort of knowing that Jesus is talking about in John 17 is a personal heart knowing. It is a knowing of the soul. It is a knowing that Brings all of your personhood into it. It's not just the mind, but it's all that you are. True knowledge of God. That engages the intellect, that engages the heart, that engages the emotions, that engages your all. It's a spiritual, personal, and relational knowledge. The example is used so often, perhaps it's old hat, but it can be used again. It's the kind of knowledge you have of your best friend, your spouse. It's not just knowing things about them, though you do, but it's knowing them personally. And we all sense that that knowledge is categorically different than the knowledge we have of our car. Some of us might really like our cars. Some of us might know a whole lot about our cars and the workings of our cars and all of the parts But it's a completely different kind of knowledge. 
than the knowledge we have of that best friend or that spouse. It's a relational knowledge of love. And that's the kind of knowledge we're talking about here. That's the knowledge. That leads us into the experience of that only comfort. That only comfort. I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul, in life and in death. I know that. I know that. And that makes me happy. That makes me happy. And so we see that the sort of knowing that we're talking about is one special kind of knowing. It's the knowing of faith. Remember what the Bible teaches and what our catechism so clearly instructs us in. Faith is certain knowledge and assured confidence based upon that certain knowledge. And the content of faith's knowledge is God's revelation of himself and his will and his promises in his word. The whole word of God at the heart of which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the content of the knowledge of faith. And that's the knowing that we're talking about. We enjoy this comfort and we are happy By faith in Christ. By knowing Christ. By knowing who he is and what he has done for us. And basking in the glory of who he is. What he has done. Who I am now as a redeemed child of God who belongs to him. Who is his possession and therefore an heir. Of all things. This is the highest form of knowing. We must always remember that. We need not be scared by our secular world that laughs at faith and says faith is a blind leap in the dark. Faith is irrational. Faith is closing your eyes and sticking your fingers in your ears and saying I'm just going to believe it contrary to all evidence. Not at all. Faith is the most rational thing there is. Faith recognizes that my mind is not the measure of all things. And these eyes are not capable of seeing all that there is. Faith is the highest form of knowledge, the highest form of knowing, the most rational thing that there is. Faith trusts in the Creator God who reveals Himself in His Word and in the works of His hands. Faith acknowledges my own creatureliness, my own weakness, the limitedness of my perception, my abilities, my mind, my brain power, all of the rest. And faith rests in this God. And faith rests in His Christ. And faith lays hold of that Christ, knows that Christ, trusts that Christ, draws strength from that Christ receives from that Christ and rejoices in that Christ. And that's where true happiness comes from. It springs from knowing Christ. Really, we can say that true happiness is the outgrowth of lively, spirit-kindled faith in Jesus Christ. And all of that the whole content of, of faith's knowledge can be summed up and described as the three things we read in question and answer to. The three ingredients of true happiness. And now, to finish off the first point, we're going to briefly walk through those three ingredients. 
When you study a recipe, you want to make sure you have a good idea of what the ingredients are and see how those ingredients fit together and how those ingredients work together to contribute to that delicious dish that is going to come out of the oven or off the stove. And so too here, we want to see how these three spiritual ingredients contribute to the rich experience of happiness that the child of God has because of Christ. The catechism sets before us the first main ingredient. What is necessary for you to know, to live and to die happily in this first? I must know how great my sins and miseries are. That's the first thing. And that's striking, isn't it? The catechism here, based on scripture, reminds us that we need to see our sin. Part of our sinfulness is that we're blind to our own sin. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can rip those scales off our eyes to see sin for what it really is. And seeing our sin, we must understand, goes far beyond the general admission that all mankind will make that man has problems, that man has his darker side, that we all have our personal demons we have to wrestle with. Man will generally admit that, but it's a minimization of the the radical nature and the depth of his sinfulness. Man tries to minimize his sin by blaming it on nature or on nurture. It's my environment that made me do this, or it's my upbringing that made me do this, or it's my genetics that makes me do this. No. Knowing our sin means recognizing sin for what it is. It's a spiritual, ethical corruption of the human nature, so that by nature I am conceived and born in sin, and it's rooted in me, and I am responsible for it, And it's an offense against the most high majesty of God. Recognizing sin for what it is. And knowing our sin means, again, knowing it with a personal knowledge, not merely an intellectual knowledge. There are people out there, and there are people in the church, who know a lot about sin. Who have a lot of biblical head knowledge about sin. Who can even deliver a learned discourse on the doctrine of sin. But they don't really know the personal pronoun of the catechism. My, my. And that must be the thrust this morning. We must see Our sins, I must see my sins, not sin out there, not even just sin generally in the human race, but my sin. That's the ingredient of true happiness. Not a general confession of the sinfulness of mankind, but the heartfelt confession and recognition and acknowledgement of my sinfulness and my sins and what those sins are that they separate me from God, that they make me worthy of His wrath, that they are heinous in His sight, and that my sins make me miserable. Yes, the genealogy of every human misery can ultimately be traced back to sin and the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve. We acknowledge that. But when we talk about our sins and miseries, my sin makes me miserable. My sin offends my God. I know that. And that knowledge brings me to my knees in true sorrow and repentance. 
It drives me to set aside all of the world's devices and all of my heart's devices that want to, to make counterfeit forms of happiness. That's the happiness project of the world, and that's the happiness project our heart wants to join in on. Counterfeit happiness. A happiness that ignores the reality of sin. That ignores the fact that sin is the root of human misery. That doesn't deal with that weed at its root, but just clips off the top of it. No. To be happy. Truly happy. With a happiness that is more than just self-deception. I have to come face to face with my sin for what it is. Acknowledge it and confess it. That's necessary. Catechism uses that word necessary and perhaps we wonder, is that word necessary too strong? Is that really accurate? How does knowing my sin for what it is make me happy? It seems like it would have the opposite effect. It would make us even more miserable. Of course. When we're talking about this first ingredient, we mustn't divorce it from the others. The knowledge of my sin and misery all by itself doesn't make me happy. It grieves me. It brings me to my knees. But as we'll see in a few moments, we're not divorcing these ingredients from each other. It's the three of them together that brings happiness. But all are important. If you pull out a recipe, From your cookbook, you can't say, well, I don't want that ingredient, so I'm just going to scratch it and expect the dish to be exactly the same. No, you take away a fundamental ingredient, you're not going to have the dish you want. Same here. Experiencing and living in the true happiness that is ours, we must see our sin. But not that all by itself. Not that all by itself. Because seeing our sin for what it is, acknowledging it, points us to the second ingredient. And that's very important. Seeing our sin makes us see our need for deliverance from sin. Seeing our sin and our misery forces us to realize that we can't fix this ourselves, that we can't Go and get happiness for ourselves, but we need a Savior. Another often used example, but it fits here. If you have a tumor growing in your body, or a terrible disease, the knowledge of that tumor by itself doesn't make you happy, but you understand that that knowledge is necessary, because that knowledge then moves you to go to the doctor, who, Lord willing, will be able to help and prescribe the form of treatment that will heal that disease or remove that tumor from the body. The knowledge of that bad thing by itself doesn't make you happy, but it is a necessary component of being happy. And so it is with the knowledge of our sin and the knowledge of our misery. It prompts us to flee To the Savior, the Deliverer, the Rescuer. And when we comprehend how great our sins and miseries are, then we will comprehend how great our Savior is who is able to deliver us from them all. If we don't appreciate the greatness of our sin and misery, we won't appreciate and savor the greatness of God's grace in Christ. 
You see, the knowledge of our sin and misery is a fundamental ingredient of Christian happiness because that knowledge helps us savor and taste the sweetness of grace in Christ. And so what is it necessary for you to know to live and to die happily? Not only that I know my sins and miseries, but now secondly, how I may be delivered from my sins and miseries. There's the second ingredient. And the second ingredient is really the beating heart of it all. There's a Savior. There's a Savior. A Deliverer. Let's start with the mere fact that there is deliverance. When we see our sin, how gigantic it is, and our misery, how inescapable it is, the only human response, if we are left to ourselves, the only response would be despair, utter despair. But there's deliverance. Misery will have its end. Evil will not have the last word. Sin will not have its way with me. There is hope. Certain hope that enables us to endure here and now in the midst of this life. The fact that there is deliverance. We cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 130. Psalm that we sang earlier in our service. If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? There's the psalmist reckoning with that first ingredient of true happiness. And he's brought to his knees by the the perception of his sins. But the psalm doesn't end there. The psalm goes on. Verse 3. Or rather, verse 4. But there is forgiveness with thee. There is deliverance. And the psalmist goes on in verses 7 and 8. For with the Lord there is mercy. With him is plenteous redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. There's deliverance. And in Psalm 130. You see the psalmist start in the depths. And end that psalm in the heights. You see the interaction of those two ingredients of true happiness. How The knowledge of his sin and misery brings him to his knees, but then pushes him forward to flee to the God of all mercy and grace. And that second ingredient, the knowledge of his deliverance, lifts him up from the depths and infuses into his heart joy unspeakable, which human words cannot adequately express. There is Deliverance. The Lord shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The fact of deliverance. And then we move to the exact nature of that deliverance. With God there is forgiveness. With God there is mercy. With God there is plenteous redemption. But how? How does that work? How does that become mine? How does the mercy, forgiveness, redemption that is with God get to me? Jesus. Jesus Christ. His person and work. 
deliverance comes through a deliverer. Salvation comes through a savior. Rescue comes through a rescuer. And that very fact comforts us and lifts our hearts, doesn't it? When we think about God's deliverance, it's not like a game of fetch. Where God takes deliverance and he throws it out there and says, go run and get it. But it's a gift that he brings to us. And instead of saying, go fetch, he goes and he takes hold of us. And he draws us to himself by his spirit and word. And he gives that gift to us and he causes, causes us to know our deliverer. Faith by which we see, apprehend, lay hold of, know, trust in Christ. Faith He kindles in our hearts by the operation of the Holy Spirit. By grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We have a deliverer who powerfully, effectually, infallibly delivers us. That's the ingredient of true happiness. Ingredient number two. The person and work of Jesus Christ. Who is not just one who makes deliverance possible. But one who actually does deliver. Really delivers. Really delivers from all our sins and from all our miseries. He's the only deliverer. He's the complete deliverer. And he leaves none of your miseries untouched. We understand that doesn't mean that his deliverance magically removes us from all of our troubles here and now. No. Deliverance often means that the troubles that we have by the sovereign providence of God are now reworked so that they serve our salvation. He uses those troubles for our good, so that in his hand they are instruments that contribute to our deliverance. But the fact remains, he takes away all our sins. He did that on the cross where he suffered and died. He paid with his precious blood. He removed our guilt. He took away our punishment. His perfect life of obedience is freely imputed to us by God's grace so that we're clothed in his righteousness, reckoned righteous in the sight of God so that we stand before him just as if I had never sinned. A full, complete Savior. And that salvation from sin brings about salvation, deliverance, rescue from every single misery of this life. That's where we're going. This life, as hard and troublesome as it is, filled with tears, is the process of being delivered from all of this. That's where we're going. That's what heaven is. That's the eternal life prepared for us in the Father's house of many mansions. Christ delivers from All misery. And so the beating heart, the beating heart of true happiness is by faith, resting in this Christ, resting in His finished work, comprehending with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. The beating heart of true happiness is to personally comprehend what Jesus says in his high priestly prayer about us, his people. 
and about himself and his relationship to us, so much is there. Maybe after church this morning, reread John 17 and think about all the things Jesus says in that prayer that makes you happy. How much he says. He gives us eternal life, he says. He's finished the work that his father gave him, he says. He prays for us. Jesus prays for us. How many times in this prayer he calls us mine. Mine. And because we're his, because Jesus says about us mine, we are God's. And Jesus says to his father, they are thine. What a wonder. There's our comfort that I, with body and soul, belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. As Jesus goes on in that prayer, he speaks about our being one with him. And through our unity with him, we are brought into the fellowship of God. Jesus expresses the desire of his heart that we would be with him where he is. Comprehending. What is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, the love of Christ for you? Deliverance. That's the beating heart. True happiness. We needn't even ask the question. Is it really necessary? We see it. Knowing Christ. That is happiness. To know him is life eternal. And then the third ingredient, what is necessary for you to know, to live and die happily, how to express my gratitude to God for his deliverance. This is the response that comes from the beating heart of Christian happiness, knowing Christ and his deliverance. This is how we want to respond. Thankfulness. That's the principal aim, the principal end of our deliverance. God saves us unto gratitude. That's how God is pleased to glorify himself. By doing us such great good that our hearts overflow to his glory. His deliverance is a life-giving and life-transforming deliverance. It is a a deliverance that produces in us a new life dominated by love and thankfulness. It is a deliverance that demands and draws out of us a response. You can think of that and understand that. Another weak illustration, you think, During the Christmas season, going to a particularly stunning and moving performance of the Messiah. How that performance draws out of the audience applause. The audience cannot but clap their hands. How much more does not the knowledge of our Deliverer and His deliverance draw out of us thankfulness, a desire, an earnest desire to worship him. We bow down on our knees on account of our sins, but look where his deliverance brings us. Now his deliverance brings us to our knees over here, our knees in worship before his throne, adoration, 
And as we express that thanks, as we give him our praise and worship, we're happy. Is there anything more joyful? Anything more happy? Anything more pleasant? Anything more jubilant? Than praising and thanking the God of our salvation? And here too we see how this thankfulness is an ingredient of the Christian's happy life. Look at all the happy activity that we get to engage in as Christians. We get to praise and thank this God who we know as our deliverer. That's the happiest thing you can be involved in. That's the truly happy life. In fact, that's the only life in which happiness is more than an illusion or a delusion. The life of praising and thanking your Savior. Necessary. Yes, thankfulness is necessary. Of course, thankfulness is necessary because God has ordained it and God wills it. God saves us unto thankfulness. Thankfulness is the necessary fruit of our redemption being accomplished. It's necessary objectively, but it's necessary subjectively as well. And we feel that, do we not? When we comprehend the greatness of our sins and miseries, and then comprehend the greatness of God's saving mercies in Jesus Christ, can our hearts stay cold? No, they catch fire. They catch fire, the fire of love and thanks. Can our mouths be silent? No. Can our hands be still? No. Worship, service, a life of thankfulness. It must happen. It must come. And so this third ingredient, true happiness, is as necessary as the others. And all these together, knowing my sin, knowing my Savior, knowing how to thank my Savior, these three together make up the happy life of the Christian. So as we go through these three things, because that's what the rest of the catechism is. The rest of the catechism is divided according to these three parts of saving knowledge, These three ingredients of true happiness, as we go through the catechism again as a congregation, really what we're doing is an in-depth study of true happiness. Let's look at it that way. Let's approach the doctrines of the Word of God that way. Not as stale, academic things merely to be understood with the mind. Yes, they must be understood. But let us look at these doctrines of God's Word as parts of the ingredients of true happiness. Truths that satisfy the soul, because those truths show us Christ, our Savior. So we don't need to go on Amazon, pick one of the thousands of books there, claiming to teach us and explain to us how to be happy. We don't need to be a part of that popular group in church or school or wherever to be happy. We don't need to be successful in our career to be happy. Though we may want those things. But this is happiness. Knowing God and Jesus Christ. 
knowing that I am a sinner saved by grace. And now my life is about praising Him. And so we conclude briefly with the twofold fruit. And that brings us to the question. We've looked at the ingredients which are in answer to. Now we go back to the question. Question two. When we know our sin and miseries, when we know our deliverance, when we know how to show our thankfulness to God, what does that yield? What fruit comes of that? Living and dying happily. Living and dying happily. That's what comes from it. Our happiness is shackled to Jesus Christ. And there's an important application because so easily and so often we make all kinds of conditions for our own happiness. We say, I'll be happy if, I'll be happy only when, I can't be happy until this or that. And that's not to deny the reality of heavy, painful hardships which bring us down, which draw tears from our eyes. Never is that to be minimized. But the point being made is, The Christian can still be happy and is still happy through all of those things. Paul did not exhort us to an impossibility when he said rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Our happiness is not shackled to any earthly circumstances. So when this earthly life and our circumstances in this life plunge down into the depths, Our happiness is not chained to those circumstances and drowned. No, our happiness is shackled to Christ. Who never leaves us or forsakes us. Who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Christ we have that deep-seated knowledge of our eternal well-being so that we can sing and truly mean it. It is well with my soul. I'm in His hands. My body, my soul, my life, my death, my all belongs to Him. It's His purchased possession. And I can be happy here and now because He is mine and I am His. And no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I will go through, that will never change. And in whatever I go through, He is with me. And I can glorify Him by clinging to Him and resting in Him and seeking comfort from Him. So that in everything I go through, there's meaning, there's purpose, there's a point to it. And no affliction, no trouble, no tear is ever wasted. Nor does any one of those tears fall to the ground without the care and sympathy of our merciful High Priest. Knowing this, we live happily and we die happily. Another oxymoron, it seems. Dying happily. How is there any happiness in death? Death is the most dreadful thing there is. Death is horrible. Death is ugly. Death is painful. Death is sorrowful. Die happily? Yes. For to us, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Christ has delivered from death too. He's delivered me from death so that in death I am delivered. He's made my greatest misery the thing that finally frees me from every other misery. 
He's turned the very thing that would push me away from God into the thing that ushers me into God's presence. He has defeated death. He has taken away death's sting. He has made death the gateway to paradise. I don't fear death. I can live happily. I can face death happily. And even amidst the sorrow of death, that happiness, that joy in Christ is untouchable. Death does not have the power to take it away. That's our happiness, beloved. Counsel of the world is often live life to the fullest. Make the most of life. Let us live life to the fullest of the extent of our gospel happiness. Enjoy the treasures that you have. Maybe we can even say happiness is about having. It's about having Christ and being had by Him. Enjoying the treasures that are ours through Him, that pearl of great price, the spiritual blessings of salvation, the riches unimaginable that are ours through His poverty. That's happiness. Let us each day Live out that happiness, even in our sorrows. Contemplate more and more these three ingredients. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed is the man who is delivered by the blood of Christ. Blessed is the man who can live a life dedicated to the thanks and worship of God. Live and die happily, beloved, in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, your Lord. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the word that Thou hast given us in the Scriptures and summarized for us in the Catechism concerning true happiness. We carry many burdens and many have many sorrows, Father, Forgive us to enjoy the happiness that is ours in Jesus Christ. That we may be a people who are truly joyful. And who are ever looking up unto thee. The author. The sustainer. The finisher of our joy. May this word bless our hearts. And lift us up as we go forward into a new week. Grant us all this in Jesus name. Amen.